Good morning, Saints at Advent. Uh, thank you for joining us here for Bible class, uh, Sunday, March 29th. Um, <laughs> we've had a lot of fun working with the uh, technology here. This has been a new thing for us, and we've had some, some issues, not just on our end, but uh, through Internet and broadband and all sorts of everything else. So thanks for your patience. Uh, hopefully some of these things are helpful for you, even if they're not as uh, professional as we would like them to be. At least the Word of God is uh, is being shared. Um, if you're watching this, you've obviously found our YouTube channel. Uh, just a reminder as well, if you go to our website, www.adventlutheran.org, there on the website, and we put it on the front page so you can't miss it, are all the bulletins. Also, parents, are Sunday school lessons for your children. Uh, so hopefully, dads and moms, uh, you are leading your children uh, through devotions, or at least Sunday school lessons, same as you're probably doing some of the schoolwork uh, as well at home, okay? Um, if you need to get in touch with us, uh, myself or Pastor Grady, um, you've got our cell phone numbers, uh, contact us, text us. Uh, we are all doing fine. Both of our families are healthy. Uh, had a few little you know, minor type of colds just that time of year, but everybody's good. Uh, no COVID as far as we know, and we're sheltering in place, uh, which I assume you are doing as well. Okay, um, we'll continue to slowly update our website with some more material and videos as we get the hang of this. Uh, today, one of the things that my son informed me that we're doing, and I'm not sure how much I like it, is something called live chat. So there, as you're watching on the YouTube channel, somewhere on that page is a place where you can post questions and do that sort of thing. Keep in mind, I'll try and stop every five to ten minutes, take a look at that. Uh, or he'll wave his hand, and I'll take a look at the question. And uh, if, if it's appropriate and, uh, and, and worthy, I will attempt to answer your questions. Otherwise, I'll try and get back to you uh, by email as well, okay? Funny thing happened. I came into church this morning. I opened up these side doors, and there were like 12 boxes of stale donuts stacked up. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we canceled our donut subscription, so... Hopefully, uh, you're having some donuts, pastry, and coffees at home, uh, probably in your slippers uh, while a few of us are dressed up here at church, okay? I hope things are well for you and your family. Uh, miss seeing all your faces. Uh, this has been, obviously, a really trying time, different, uh, just a whole different situation. But uh, remember, the word of the Lord endures forever. And God, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, He does not change. And so, in the midst of these things that have affected us here uh, his word is still your light and your truth in the midst of all this. So, so have no fear. Uh, God promises to provide a way, a path uh, through the wilderness. Um, if you you question that, then my goodness, open up your Old Testament and read story after story after story of uh, people uh, <laughs> who were caught in dire circumstances. Sometimes they brought it on themselves. Sometimes it was just living in a sinful world and how God provided for them over and over again. I've been thinking this week about the story of um, Elijah and the widow at Nain. And um, <laughs> she and her son had just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. And here comes the prophet, the man of God, uh, Elijah, of course, uh, who shows up and says, uh, make me a little bread, uh, fix me some food. And, and the widow says, hey, I barely have enough. Uh, my son and I, we're going to fix what we have, and then we're going to lay down, and we're going to die, because that's it. But she heeds God's word, much like Abraham heeds God's word in the wonderful sermon preached by Pastor Grady this morning in our text for today. And the Lord provides an unending, overflowing jar of flour and oil. And, and Elijah, the, the man of God, the prophet of God, is provided for. Not only Elijah, but also now this widow and her son. Pay attention as well with that story, with what happens to that son and, 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 and the result of that. There's just some marvelous things there. And so, so have no fear. Uh, God is greater than all this, and he has shown us time and time again his love for us, his love for you. And so let that uh, in, embolden you, let that encourage you uh, here throughout these times uh, the, the Lord will provide. If you have any needs as well, the last thing I want to say, just as kind of a matter of introduction, if you're in need of uh, food, uh, 
I'm, I'm told there's plenty of toilet paper to go around. There's not actually a toilet paper uh, <laughs> uh, scarcity. Uh, so if you need something, if you can't get out of the house for your quarantine, you need people to drop stuff off on your door, uh, call us and let us know. We appreciate that most of our families are pretty well connected, so we haven't had too many requests uh, for any of that. Uh, but I would just lastly encourage you to be in contact with your fellow members from church. Uh, take your directory out. Uh, give people a call. Email them. Uh, see how they're doing. Um, that's important that uh, we, we try and, and stay in touch uh, and care for our neighbors. Okay? All right. Enough for that. Uh, we are continuing our study. Hopefully you have watched by now Pastor Grady's Bible study from last weekend. We weren't able to live stream that, but we did upload it, I think, on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, so we are continuing our study on the Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People uh, by Kurt Marquardt. And uh, in my book here, on we're on page 134, Priesthood and Ministry. The Kindle edition number is, what's the page number on the bottom for the Kindle edition? It says location. One. That doesn't sound right. Page, no, look location number, not page number. Because that'll be different depending on the size of their font. Location number should be like five digits. He has no idea what I'm talking about. So you'll just have to follow along. We are going to stick this up on your uh, feed so you can see it. Uh, let's begin first with a, Lord, a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Almighty God, by your great goodness, mercifully look upon your people that we may be governed and preserved evermore in body and soul. Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pick up on priesthood and ministry from Professor Marquardt. One of the very pivots of the whole Reformation was 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And let's read that together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And these golden phrases, rich in Old Testament background, the Reformation Church rediscovered the God-given grandeur attending the spiritual priesthood of the whole people of God. Now, the Middle Ages had made uh, huge class distinctions in the church between the laity and the clergy uh, or even spiritual estates. Then, too, there was the special race of monks and nuns, uh, the so-called religious. They were thought to be keeping Christ's evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience, while the common herd of Christians could occupy themselves at a much lower level with the mere Ten Commandments. Even Thomas Aquinas had permitted himself to speak of entrance into the monastic life as equal to baptism. Okay? Now, this is the situation into which Martin Luther was, was born. Remember that Luther's father wanted him to become a a lawyer, wanted to become a lawyer. Um, and so all of his, his school, schooling, his preparatory work uh, was, was, was leading towards that. Okay. Um, Luther, if you might remember the story, uh, was traveling home, caught in a thunderstorm, lightning, <laughs> crashing, flashing, trees bending and breaking in the wind, and he cries out, Saint Anne, help me, right? which is what he'd been taught to do. He'd been taught to pray to, cry out to various saints who could help and deliver God's people in time of need. Okay? Now, we know truly that saints can't do that. Okay? Only God can, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Luther, however, had been raised in this situation where those who had come through these spiritual estates and even attained, uh, attained sainthood by the church were given special powers and abilities by God to rescue his people. Find that in Scripture, I challenge you, because it's, it's not there. So he cries out to St. Anne, why? Because he believes that, that Anne, who came through these spiritual estates, who has now been, been canonized as a saint, recognized by the, the Holy See in Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, now would have the power to deliver him. Why doesn't he cry out, dear Jesus, help me? Dear Father in heaven, protect me from this storm, which should be the prayer of any Christian. Because he was taught contrary to that. Okay? He believed that there were intercessors now, those who came through these spiritual estates who had done that. And that was the real issue with the gospel at the time of the Reformation. And I would submit to you, is still an issue with the gospel today. Who do you turn to? Who do you pray to? What do you look for 
in times of need. Thus, the first commandment, say it with me, you shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in St. Anne. Oh, wait, that's not right. In God above all things. But you and I have idols from time to time. And so keep that first commandment and Luther's explanation to it front and center on your mind and on your heart. And ask yourself those questions. When you have worry and fear, who are you placing your trust in rather than God? And ultimately, that's where we as sinners, each and every one of us, need to repent. Need to recognize that we place our trust in others. Long story short, Luther then promises, uh, St. Anne, I suppose, uh, that uh, if he's rescued now from the storm, the storm, he'll become a monk. He's going to become more spiritual. Okay? And, and that's a bunch of poppycock. Okay? That he's going to become more spiritual by becoming a, a monk. Okay? Uh, a lawyer doing his or her job is just as, quote, spiritual as any ordained pastor or anyone else. You're doing the work God has given you to do. And so when Luther now, finally later on in life, after he discovers the true gospel, um, now starts to put the pieces of that together. And that's where we're going here in this text. Okay, Next paragraph. The Reformation made short shrift of such fantasies. Not that the genuine value of some earlier monastic services went unrecognized. Quote, Formerly the monasteries had conducted schools of Holy Scripture, and other branches of learning which are profitable to the Christian church, so that pastors and bishops were taken from monasteries. Okay. Uh, same with Luther. All of his training then in becoming a monk, uh, how he learns to translate Hebrew, Greek, how he studies the early church fathers. Um, thanks be to God that there was education in place. But at that time, you pretty much had to become a monk to get that, or at least have enough money to pay somebody to tutor you. Again, quote, Anthony, Anthony, Bernard, Dominic, Francis, and other Holy Fathers chose a certain kind of life for study or for other useful exercises. Okay. Marquardt continues, Indeed, it may well be asked whether some modern missionary challenges, such as the drug and crime-infested inner cities of the USA, would not be served better by some form of ordered Christian community than by conventional clergy with vulnerable families. And that's a fair point. Uh, sometimes having such an organization in place, uh, which the church is, is free to make, by the way, um, might be a better situation. Okay? Um, I'm mindful of a, a, dear, a dear friend of mine, uh, went to a seminary for a few years, and uh, Jonathan Fisk, uh, his first call out of seminary, if I remember correctly, and he'll probably email me if I get this wrong, uh, was to Philadelphia. And so he was in charge of Philadelphia Lutheran Ministries. And his job there was, was, was literally at a church that was, uh, uh, as I understand it, more kind of inner city, was to work there in, in that setting. And he did great and grand work. But I do know this. It was very stressful. It was very difficult. Very you know, hard work compared to what most of us experience kind of in a, quote, a normal parish life. Okay? Uh, would that have been better served perhaps with... Uh, Younger folks, not married, no kids, uh, those that might have a little more of a, uh, an institutional uh, setting? Quite possibly. Okay. Uh, Marquardt continues, What is objectionable, ob objectionable uh, about monastic life, as it finally turned out, is the twofold idea that specially human-devised disciplines and exercises, and pay attention here, earn merit before God and thus put monks and nuns onto a higher plane than ordinary Christians. Okay. Um, we see this today, and not just within the Roman side of things, but even in the Reform side of things, that you, know, you are, they would teach climbing you know, a ladder, you're climbing Jacob's ladder, and as a Christian, you're getting a little better you know, each day, and you're becoming more spiritual. <laughs> I would say, poppycock. You have everything you need. You have Jesus himself in your baptism. You have God's word fed into your very ear. And not only that, you have the body and blood of Jesus placed into your mouth. How can you get any more spiritual than that? So it, it doesn't matter what vocation you might have. Okay? It's, it's all objective, which is why we talk about, and, 
Marquardt will get to this, okay? Objective justifying faith, justification, okay? Uh, that we are made just as if we had no sin, that it's God's work, and He now gives, bestows that to you uh, to live in and with now in this life. Marquardt continues. In fact, God wishes to be served, He does, and is pleased precisely by the faithful performance of ordinary duties in daily life. Let me repeat that. God wishes to be served and is pleased precisely by the faithful performance of ordinary duties in daily life. Okay. So it's why as parents, my wife and I talk to our children, to our boys, about doing their homework. Okay. If they're playing sports, paying attention to the coach. Okay. Uh, making sure that they are doing what has been asked of them. Because why? That's pleasing to God. Is it because we want them to grow up and be professional sports stars? No. It's because God simply wants you to serve your neighbor, wants you to obey those that have been placed in authority over you. He wants you to simply do the work you've given to do. And so in that sense, all of us you know, have jobs. So one of the questions I got from one of my sons this last week was, uh, hey, the stimulus checks are coming out. Are each of us kids going to get our own stimulus check? And they were pretty excited about that. I mean, who wouldn't be? $500, $1,200, whatever it would be. <laughs> they weren't too happy with my answer. And I said, no, technically, you're not adults yet. Technically, you're still part of our household, so that money is going to come, if it comes, you know, to your mother and me. Well, will you give us some of that? <laughs> Good questions, right? So with God, he gives you not only everything you need, but he asks you now to do good works. He tells you that what you have been given to do each and every day is from him. Okay? So if your employer asks certain things of you, that is your duty. Okay? As long, of course, as nothing what you're being asked to do is contrary to the word of God, that's a whole different discussion. But in the face of, of normal times and situations, or at least a daily work, that's what God's given to do. And, and I've often shared with you, you know, what Luther said about even a housewife at home scrubbing floors. Okay, you might think even a cleaning lady scrubbing floors is doing just as great and an amazing a work as, as the Pope himself, or as a king, or as a prince. Okay, so that's how much God cares about you. And so, you know, whether you are retired, whether you have a job, whether you looking for work regardless where you're at, God has work for you to do. So I would encourage you in this way, what has God given you to do right now? What is the work that is set before you this day and maybe for tomorrow? Focus on that. That is God-pleasing. Don't get caught up in, oh, I'm becoming a better Christian, okay, and I'm becoming more spiritual, okay? That's, what's the word I've used today? Poppycock, okay? Now, let's go on. Uh, 1 Samuel 15, 22, let's read it together. To obey is better than sacrifice. Okay? So we have this all through Scripture. Okay? And God says as well in the Psalms, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. What are you going to offer to me? And so when you start to think that, that God is going to you know, shower down all sorts of extra blessings upon you because of you doing your job, there's no promises of that per se. Okay, my son's got his hand up. I guess we have a question that came in. Oh, we just lost internet. For the past two minutes, are we still recording? Now we're back. We just lost internet for two minutes? You didn't hear the last two minutes of what I said on internet. That's just great because I answered every single question you've ever had about the Bible or about being a Lutheran or a Christian. And you missed it. Sorry. Maybe it's floating around somewhere out there in the grand This is the problems we've had our week. Our, our internet, I mean, our, our modem and our network here at church is good, but Spectrum's been going in and out. So I apologize for that if you missed uh, all of my, well, I'm not going to boast. It probably wasn't very good, but the last two minutes, okay? We're picking up on page 135 uh, with priesthood and ministry. 1 Samuel 15.22, to obey is better than sacrifice, Scripture says. Okay. Um, so God says the cattle of a, a, on a thousand hills are mine. So what is it that you're going to offer to me? And the answer is 
nothing. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Right? Um, so do the work that God has given for you. Trust that he will provide. And this takes faith. Okay? Pay attention to our Old Testament reading today. Uh, pastor preached a, a wonderful sermon this morning about it. Um, you know, Abraham's faith, which if you follow Hebrews chapter 11, is the faith that, that everyone has been given, Old Testament and New Testament. And his faith simply trusts God's word and his promises. So that's God's promises to you with whatever you may be worried about right now, whatever you may be fearful of. God said, hey, I've got this. And he asked you to cast your eyes upon the cross, upon Christ, to see how he's provided for you. Further, Marquardt continues, Forbidding people to marry is a teaching promoted by demonic powers. Sometimes Marquardt has these little gems that he throws here in the midst of this, and, and this is, is kind of one of those. But basically what he's getting at is forbidding people to do something that God has promised or has asked, uh, and, and that will be a blessing. Okay, So to go contrary to God's word, to make something up that monks or nuns are more spiritual or closer to heaven, or that there can be saints uh, that uh, now will hear your prayers, will intercede, will save you from thunderstorms and lightnings. Um, that is teaching. Those are teachings promoted by demonic powers. In other words, the devil is always trying to get you to do what? To question God's holy word and to place your faith in someone or something else. Marquardt continues. Turning now to the relations between laity and clergy, the biblical picture of the royal family, Ephesians 2 verse 19, is a good starting point. There is only one holy family of God, and every baptized believing Christian is equally a member of it. And that's why Jesus spends so much time talking about about his body and what's going to happen to the, the body of the Son of Man, Okay, that he's going to suffer, that he's going to die, that he's going to rise again. You've been made part of that body, which is why Scripture continues, in your baptism you've been buried with him, with Christ, in death. The old sinner in you drowned. I often tell the story of my my first associate pastor, uh, Reverend uh, Benjamin Siebert, who serves in Kansas, a wonderful man. He had a little plastic cup on his desk, and he had a little, little tiny figure of a man that he would turn upside down, and, and, and he would keep water in that cup. And so when someone would come in and talk to him and they'd be kind of trying to figure out, you know, their sins or confessing sins, he'd, he'd take that little figure and he'd dunk it up and down in the, in the cup of water. What was his point? The sinner in you needs to be drowned and die. Okay? And not only that, this is what God now gives as a beautiful, beautiful gift. That, that through Christ's blood, through his merit, um, <laughs> your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. Okay? Your sin is, is, is put to death, and you are now raised to new life in Christ. Thus the Holy Spirit comes, and that's why we call the work of the Holy Spirit sanctification, which simply means holifying work. <laughs> he is holying you, okay? making you holy. How? Through your work, through your labors. But But it's his gift first to you. It's not you becoming holy or on your own or using what he gives as some you know power and ability you have to tap into it's completely his gift and so we need more of that how do you get that you want to know good question thanks for asking let the word of god be read and preached to you and that's where mark hart's going to go with this receive the lord's body and blood receive absolution it's word and sacrament ministry okay i'll let mark hart emphasize this because he gets he gets pretty good here So there is one holy family of God, and every baptized, believing Christian is equally a member of it. The Lord himself says, and let's read it together, you are all brothers, Matthew 23, verse 8. So this exalted royal family status or dignity belongs to all Christians without exceptions. Now pay attention to this because this becomes a problem in the church. Sometimes leadership will say, oh, well, you know, we got the whole 80-20 rule, right? You got 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Uh, 
uh, and people start to think, hey, I'm a, I'm a better Lutheran, I'm a better Christian than so-and-so. They only show up to church four or six times a year. I never see them in Bible study. They've never volunteered to serve on a board or committee. Repent of that. Don't fall into that trap. The Lord gives different gifts, has different uses for people. Okay? Should you think about how you can serve your Lord in His church? Yes. Is that always just here at this place at Advent Evangelical Lutheran? Nope. Okay, maybe out and about, maybe through your day job, you know, and, and other things. Okay, should church be the center of who you are because of what God has promised? Yes, it should. Okay, so if you are one of those four to six time a year type of attenders, you might want to give a little thought about that. Okay, especially the, the third commandment remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. But I digress. Let's move on. This exalted royal family status or dignity belongs to all Christians without exception, whether they are illiterate peasants, learned scholars, pious housewives, faithful farmers, good pastors, or honest salesmen. The fact that some family members must give themselves at the father's direction entirely to the work of the family's affairs and enterprises does not put them into a different class from the rest. That means that my job as a pastor, as well as Pastor Grady's, our full-time job is serving and working here at the church. Okay? Uh, and there's only two or three other people that would be employed in such a way here at Advent Lutheran Church. Does that make that those four or five of us more holy or better Christians than you? No, Malachi, who's shaking his head yes. No, that does not make us better Christians or closer to God. And that's, that's Mark Hart's point. We're all part, just being baptized, and that's where baptism is so important, okay, and such a, such, such a great gift, okay? All have equal royal and priestly standing, only some have one set of duties and some have another. So my duties, my day-to-day job, differ from all of you. The only person that's probably similar to my duties here would be Pastor Grady. But even then, we do have some different duties. As senior pastor, I have some different responsibilities, areas of oversight, things that I do. And as assistant pastor, he has some things delivered. Are we both ordained pastors? Yes, we are. Do we both preach to you? Yes, we do. Do we both absolve, consecrate, baptize? Yes, we do. Okay? So that doesn't make, you know, the senior pastor greater than the assistant or vice versa. We're all part of that family, but we have different jobs. Okay? Now, the Reformation truth needs to be applied again in our day. Questions before I get into the next paragraph? No questions. Some speak and act as though the big thing were to have some office in the church while mere membership is humdrum. People even talk of getting others interested in the church by giving them some office, say, elder or treasurer. Okay? One of the things I was taught 20-some years ago uh, with new people, and this would be the you know, uh, assimilation, which we're not talking about Star Trek and the board. <laughs> we will assimilate you. Um, although that's kind of what it was. Meaning, you know, get the people into church and get them involved and as busy as possible as soon as possible. That's what I was kind of taught with a lot of the church growth stuff. Okay, Instead of catechizing and teaching them that the most important thing is just to sit, simply sit and receive God's gifts, what I had been taught 20-some years ago was, was you better get them involved. As soon as they become new members, um, make sure they sign up for coffee right away. Make sure you get them on the board of fellowship. If, uh, you know, he, the guy's a, a good spiritual person, uh, put him on the elders right away. Get him on the council. Okay? And I since have repented of some of that. Okay? One, because that's not fair to the new people. You don't know them well enough yet to know necessarily what their gifts and talents are. If somebody comes in, they have some gifts and talents and they want to serve, absolutely. But what's better than simply, <laughs> than simply being Mary, who sits at Jesus' feet and receives his words? That's the most important thing. So I always tell our new people, and I tell our boards and committees this, leave the new people alone in terms of trying to get them signed up and doing jobs right away. Let them learn. Reach out to them. Communicate with them. Invite them for lunch. Well, you can't do that right now. Uh, pick up the phone, email, talk, you know, connect with them. But give them the time to continue to, 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 to grow and, and cherish that. Okay? 
and, and God will provide. Okay? Uh, and we need people that serve in all those different ways. But, but that's not going to get us from point A to point B. Does that make sense? The Lord will provide for that. Okay, Marquardt continues. So this Reformation truth needs to be applied again in our day. Some speak and act as though the big thing were to have some office in the church while mere membership is humdrum. People even talk of getting others interested in the church by giving them some office, say elder or treasurer. This is topsy-turvy, though, or the word for the day that I'm using, poppycock. Nothing could be grander than to be a baptized child and priest of God, to be his heir by faith, to serve him daily in true devotion according to one's calling in life. I love that last phrase. To serve him daily in true devotion according to one's calling in life. Which means that, that your devotion, your love and faith for God means you're going to do that which is given you to do that day. So if you're a CPA, you're an accountant, it's keeping the books. Okay, you, you, are, you are serving God in true devotion by doing that work. Okay? Same with any, any other uh, uh, vocation that you have. Um, so serve him daily in true devotion according to one's calling life and to come together regularly with the rest of the family around the family table where the Lord himself is our food. And that's where the divine service is so important, okay? And why I hope that you've been, you know, at least gathering together with us over the internet as best as we can do that, certainly gathering as your family. But that's when we gather together in worship where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. So even worshiping at a distance, whether it's you know through your smart TV, your laptop, or even just in prayers, that unites you with the whole family. Okay, so where where God's name is, okay, where it is called upon, there is now that connection to the whole family. Okay, and of course, as we gather and we look forward to the day that we can worship together again, uh, He Himself now is also our food as we gather together there at that meal. Okay, uh, speaking of which, um, you know. Most people are obviously able to, to get out and go to the grocery store. And I'm sure the most of you, as long as you haven't been in quarantine, have left the house for various things. I would offer this one thing. If you've left the house you know, to go buy groceries and be around people, how difficult would it be, just you or you and your family, to come here to church to receive the Lord's body and blood? Just think about that. I'm not making that a law. But I'm simply going to ask, what is most important to you during these times as well? Okay, If you're willing to risk, even for the sake of, 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 of health, you know, being outside and exposing yourself to that, uh, <laughs> how much more to receive God's gifts, the heavenly food? Okay? And so we're trying to provide that. I don't want to bind your conscience with that, but I do want you to, I want you to think about that. Okay? Um, about that. At the same time, um, if you, you find yourself greatly troubled by that, then I would say, have no fear, little flock. It's okay then to wait patiently until that time that we go together. Okay? But back to the first uh, commandment, what's most important? It's a fair question. Okay? I just like to ask you questions and get you all riled up. You know that. Okay? Um, we think through those things. Okay? And we want to care for our neighbor. We want to be mindful of that. We don't want to spread COVID-19 and all those other things. But we also recognize that God's gifts also transcend all that. Okay, um, Okay. let's move on. No questions from that one? I thought that might get some questions up. Oh, nothing. Okay. Uh, maybe they're just waiting to listen to me later. So compared with such glorious royal family privileges, the differences in daily duties and offices are trifling indeed. Christians serve and please God just as well in any useful work. So here this is reiterated to us by Marquardt again. The point is to do something for which one is well-fitted. Better to be a good farmer or lawyer than a bad preacher. Now pay attention, young folks, if you're still working through the question of what do I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> or maybe you're, uh, you're going through a midlife crisis. What do I want to do next? Okay. Um, and so when I've talked with this about my boys, you know, sometimes they have, have had some grand ideas. I want to be a professional baseball player. And I say, I don't know, you kind of suck right now. <laughs> no, I don't say it that way. I say, you know, it's going to take a lot more, you know, talent and hard work. I don't know that you're gifted for that. I mean, right now, you might, you might be down the road, right? But, uh, 
you know, just because you want to be something, our culture says, well, just be whatever you want to be, right? If if you're a girl and you feel like a boy, then be a boy. You know where I'm going with this, okay? And and I would say the question a Christian should ask is, what has God created me to be? How has He created me? What what gifts and and abilities do I have? What talents? I remember in high school, we, we uh, I think it was junior or senior year, we took the, uh, what was it, the Avs, AVSBAB test? Yeah. And so that was, it was vocational testing, right? Um, and, and, and so that would, would focus you in on what types of things that you should do. I think vocational testing is great. I think we need to probably spend more time uh, helping people understand how they think, left brain, right brain, um, the things that they're good at. Some kids are really good at English. Some aren't. Some kids are good at math. Some aren't. Instead of trying to make everybody fit the same mold, certainly continue to teach and educate. But but one of the biggest things of education I would submit to you and for us as parents and even as a church is help people recognize who God has made them to be. Okay, um, Because I am convinced by Scripture that you will find the greatest fulfillment using the gifts that God has given you in service to your neighbor. Okay. And I can also say that personally from experience. I never wanted to be a pastor. There's still days that I, I struggle with that. Um, I wanted to go into business. I had ideas of what I was going to do, family business, that sort of thing. Um, and I was, I was decent at it. I, mean, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was pretty successful. But looking back at it, there were, there were some things that, that I think I was quite lacking in. And as I went through that exploratory process with the Holy Spirit barking in my ear and my wife kicking me in the butt saying, you should be a pastor, uh, and other family members and teachers as well, I was like, okay, okay. And I'm not saying by any means that I'm the, the, the best pastor that's out there, whatever. I, I would hope I do an adequate job at being your pastor at preaching and teaching and that sort of thing. But I find great fulfillment in using the gifts that, that God has given me um, in my vocation now. So one of the questions I get from my boys is, well, I want to do something that I'm going to enjoy. <laughs> and that's what everybody will say today, right? I want to do something that I'm going to enjoy, you know, every day. I say, Good luck with that because <laughs> every job is a job. It's hard work. It, it, it's, it, part of it is also the curse that God told Adam way back when, that the ground is going to yield thorns and thistles by the sweat of your brow. You're going to work it. And while that was a specific curse, you know, to Adam, that sin that infiltrates everything also infiltrates us. Okay? So any job you have, any work you have, is going to be difficult. Okay? But you have the promise that as God has given you these talents and abilities, he'll provide a way out through it. Okay? All right, I'll step down and move on. Any questions yet? No questions on the Internet. Okay. That's good. Most of you know it would be uh, difficult. Okay. What then is the ministry? Das Amt in German. We may begin by clearing up our language. The Greek words, which having passed through Latin became minister, to minister, and ministry. In English, they mean servant, to serve, and service. In the New Testament, this group of words has at least three levels of meaning. In the first is the general meaning of serving or service, most often in connection with food. And there's some passages there, Luke 10, verse 40, Luke 12, 37, Luke 17, verse 8. John 2, verse 5, Acts 6, verse 2. Okay. Um, so ministry in general, serving of food. Secondly, the words refer specifically to the ministry, service, or ministers, servants of the word. Acts 6, verse 4 of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Okay. Um, of the spirit, of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, or of the gospel, Colossians 1, 23. Finally, in its most specific sense, this is the third meaning now of minister, the word servant means deacon, as distinct from pastors or bishops. Okay? Philippians 1, verse 1, 1 Timothy 3, uh, 8 through 12, also Romans 16, verse 1. Now, the second of those meanings, that is the ministry of word and sacraments, that's what we're concerned with here. So of this office, the Augsburg Confession says, quote, in order that we may obtain this justifying faith, the ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. Unlike, for example, German, 
In English, we do not string words together like railroad cars into compound word trains. Since it is clumsy to keep repeating entire phrases like the ministry of the gospel, it became customary to speak simply of, quote, the ministry, which served as shorthand for the longer phrase. Now, this sort of shorthand worked very well until it became fashionable to talk about all Christians having a, quote, ministry on the basis especially of Ephesians 4.12, okay? Um, Oscar Foyt uh, and others, and this goes back decades, uh, <laughs> there was a book he wrote entitled Everyone a Minister, okay? Um, and in some respects, intent was good, I would say, okay? Uh, in terms of the results or the conclusions and how it was used, epic fail. Because what everyone now was taught, and this is still believed and practiced, even in our dear old Missouri Synod, is everyone's a minister. Everyone's able to do these things and those things and do that. So, yeah, we have pastors, but it doesn't really matter whether it's the pastor that preaches to us or whether the pastor consecrates the elements. Okay? As you might have seen at other Missouri Synod churches, we can, we can have women serving communion or serving as elders or in, in situations where they have authority over men, what Scripture prohibits, and so on and so forth. You see where we're going with this? According to the second meaning, as we've learned, everyone is not a minister. Okay? All people are priests, according to the passage that we read from 1 Peter 2, verse 9, but not all people are pastors. So, completely different in that regards. Okay? Uh, Marquardt uh, continues. So, now it is perfectly true that all Christians are to serve, that is, to be useful. We've covered that. To serve Christ and to serve one another, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Two tables of the law, okay? Our word group now is very occasionally used in this way in the New Testament. John 12, 26, uh, Philemon 13, 1 Peter 4, 10. So calling this general service ministry, however, and talking about all Christians consequently being ministers blurs the distinction between this general ministry of all and the special ministry of some, namely of word and sacraments. Okay? Now let's see if we can break this down in a very practical way. Okay? Uh, we have an altar guild here at Advent Lutheran Church. Okay? Um, do they set up for communion? Uh, clean some things? Of course they do. Is that wonderful good service that's part of preparing uh, that divine service? Yes. Do they have anything to do with the actual distribution or consecration of that? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, most of you never see them. <laughs> they show up uh, early in the morning, usually with us pastors, and they get their job done, and they're out of the way. Most of you probably don't even know who they are. And then after the service is over, they go in and clean up. Okay? Um, we could say, according to that first definition, that they are ministering in connection with food. Let's use one more example along those lines. How about the donuts? <laughs> we have people sign up to do coffee and to do donuts. Is that part of our life as the church? Yes, it is. Okay, And so that would all be service of food. Question? Oh, good question. So does this also apply to uh, church members reading the Old Testament and the Epistle lessons? Yes, it does. Who is given, according to Scripture, or who is called publicly to read God's Word to you, to preach, and to teach to you? And the answer simply would be the pastors. Okay? So this we would have from the Augustana. This is the retable catus. Only those who are rightly called should publicly preach and teach the gospel and administer the sacraments. Okay? Um, so this gets to the question. Thank you for this. This is, this is also a varied practice in the Missouri Synod. It didn't used to be about having lay people read the scripture lessons. Okay? Um, why should we not have lay people read the Scripture lessons? A couple of reasons. One, it's not their job to do that. The, the pastor is called to be the viva vox Christe, the very voice of Christ. Keep in mind, that's why we put you know, robes on, which aren't required, but that's the tradition and the custom. They cover up the man. So that there in church, who do you hear speaking to you? Jesus. Who is reading Scripture to you? Jesus. Is a layperson called to stand in the stead of Christ and do that? No. Now let me take that one step further because 
Every year when we move to Divine Service 3, we also have this question. In Divine Service 3, one of the options is uh, the pastor will chant or say the Lord's Prayer. Okay? And every year there's always a few people, you're taking the Lord's Prayer away from us. Why is only the pastor praying the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> Some of you heard the answer before. It's so simple. Are you ready? Jesus is teaching you how to pray. Jesus is giving you his prayer so that you can use it the rest of the week, daily. You see, it's a whole different thing when you start to think about it this way. So publicly, the pastors are called to do that. Lay people aren't called to publicly serve in that way. Okay? In the home, yes, absolutely. Uh, moms, dads, and that's why Luther and the early church fathers, and we've talked about this before, talk about the three estates or the three omps. Right? So you've got uh, civil authority or kingdom of the left, okay, which we are called to obey. And that's actually why we're not having church right now. Could we go against our government and have church here? We could. Okay. Should we? Nope. Fourth commandment issue. Uh, the government has said, uh, you know, groups, uh, no more than 10. Maintain social distancing. That's why we're doing all that. So there's the civil estate or the or the or the, the the civil father, if you will. Then you have fathers in the home. Okay, father is the head of the house, uh, head of the wife, uh, all those things. So you have you have a you have an earthly father or a father in the home. The third father then would be a spiritual father, which would be then your pastors. Okay. Now some people, I'm surprised this question hasn't come up yet. What about in case of an emergency? So let's say that both Pastor Grady and I contract COVID-19 and we're quarantined for two weeks, okay? Well, the first thing we would probably do would be just to do a service from our homes, right? Because we can do that with technology, okay? Let's say that both of us die. And let's say that we, you can't find a pastor one way or the other to do that, okay? Um, could an elder do that? Yeah. And that would get to the third point here, which would be in terms of a deacon, that's distinct from a pastor or a bishop. We might see if we can get a seminarian first, right? Obviously, we'd want to get an ordained pastor so we could consecrate the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, So emergency situations are, are, are something you want to be careful of because that doesn't apply to day-to-day uh, -day situation in terms of normal order. Okay. So for normal order, who should read the pre uh, scriptures to you? Your pastor. Okay. You should learn his voice. And in listening to his voice, you should hear the voice of Christ. Okay? The last practical thing I'm going to say about uh, uh, lay people reading Scripture is this. How many lay people have been taught to translate not only Greek and Hebrew, but how to read Scripture according to how it was written? How many do you think? Very few. I would guess we probably have a few here at church, you know. So there, there is something, I mean, we, we are taught at seminary and obviously practiced in that, how to read Scripture in a good way to you, okay? One of the things I know I struggled with as a young man was, and, and for a while we were at a church that had lay readers, you know, and you get a, a very wonderful man or woman up there reading Scripture, and oh my goodness, <laughs> please stop reading. <laughs> the way you are reading is distracting, it's not helping. Not everybody is is gifted for that, okay? But part of the problem in the church has been, oh, you want to be, you know, a good Christian, sign up, you know, to read Scripture and that sort of thing. Let your pastors do that. Publicly, that's their job to do that. Don't take that away from them, and also don't go against the order that Christ has for that, okay? So that was really the process of the church. It wasn't until really the 1960s Vatican II started introducing lay people in the Catholic Church. The Missouri Synod and other Lutheran churches then followed suit and started adding all these things in. And now we end up with a mess where, you know, you show up at some churches, you don't know who the pastor is, right? Uh, which guy in the knit shirt is the pastor? Is that the guy leading the songs? Is that the guy leading the prayers? Is that the guy preaching? I don't know. But if you read the Lutheran Confessions... <laughs> You're supposed to know because God is a God of order. Okay. Enough of that. Man, see these questions. They We didn't get near as far as I thought we would. Can I do one more paragraph? You've got time. You're just sitting at home in your slippers anyway. You've got nothing better to do. So let, let's uh, let's cover just a little bit more. Any other questions pop up? Negative. Okay. All right. 
Uh, let's see where I'm at here. So let me just finish this, the, the paragraph. Let me reread the paragraph. So this sort of shorthand worked very well until it became fashionable to talk about all Christians having, quote, a ministry on the basis of Ephesians 4.12. That's everyone a ministry, Oscar, Ford, all that stuff. Now, it is perfectly true that all Christians are to serve, that is, to be useful to Christ to one another. And our word group, very occasionally used in this way in the New Testament, Calling this general service ministry, however, and talking about all Christians consequently being ministers blurs the distinction between this general ministry of all and the special ministry of some, namely the ministry of word and sacraments, right? So Christ created now a new office of under-shepherd, of pastor, okay? Uh, Prior, uh, you might say it was divided up, prophets, priests, and kings. Now, all are priests, all do daily service to God. But Christ has established now a new office, males only, that are to serve uh, publicly and obviously appropriately privately, and are in charge. They are the stewards of the mysteries of Christ. Last paragraph from Marquardt. Luther's usage was clear. All Christians are born by baptism into the priesthood. That's you and me as well. But some are called by the church into the ministry. Accordingly, in the rest of this chapter, quote, the ministry shall mean not the generic service of all Christians, but rather the public ministry of preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. Okay. Hang tight for next week because uh, um, Marquardt's going to flesh this out a little bit. So if you still have some questions or concerns about that, uh, email me in between. Uh, but we'll pick up here on page uh, 136 of Marquardt's uh, book for next week. He's going to talk about the choosing of the 12 apostles. Okay. I don't know if I have any other announcements uh, from anyone here. Uh, keep in mind, if you're, you're, you're able uh, to get out, uh, you're healthy, uh, you can sign up uh, for a time. Uh, just, it takes about 10 minutes uh, to come into church. Uh, good to be in church if you're able, uh, just with uh, uh, you, maybe your immediate family, Pastor Grady or myself. Pastor Grady is actually in the sanctuary right now. Uh, confession absolution. Confess our faith, Lord's Prayer, words of institution, receive the body and blood of Jesus, and uh, send you out the door, okay? And then we wipe everything down. <laughs> so, uh, Be safe out there, folks. Uh, continue to uh, uh, do what is asked of you. Also, have hope, uh, for Christ uh, has redeemed you, and he promises that uh, he's going to provide for us, okay? I do hope to see you soon, and that's all of us. Peace be with you. Let's close with Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you.